Hello, my name is Karen O'Connor and you are listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen.mmn. If you enjoy this podcast or podcasts in general, and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Nancy Diaz. Welcome, Nancy. Now, you are a therapist, so you're of Mexican origin from the US and you moved to Australia and you specialize in coaching women of color, which I found just fascinating. But you also specialize in relationships, which is what we were going to talk about, which is how to deal with your ex-in-laws at Christmas or your ex-family on special occasions, those kind of things. Welcome to the show. I've got so many things I want to ask you, but welcome. Tell me, first of all, thank you. how did you end up doing what you're doing? Tell me what, or describe exactly what it is that you do and how you ended up doing that. Sure. So I am a trauma-informed therapist. I'm also a speaker and I'm the host of the Global Citizen Therapy podcast. And I specialize in working with women of color who are daughters of immigrants. And it's been a long, crazy journey to get here. I originally started specializing in working with digital nomads because I was one and thought that I was going to be one and because I love to travel. And I thought if I can work and travel at the same time, this is what I want to do. And what's weird is that I decided that's only who I could work with because I figured who else is going to want to work with the flaky therapist that has a different background behind her every time who maybe has weird Wi-Fi issues or I've done sessions from the, the middle of nowhere inside of a camping tent. And, and that's while I was traveling. And I, I just thought, who is going to understand this lifestyle except other digital nomads? But then once I actually started doing that, I realized like, this doesn't feel like my calling. It just doesn't feel like it fits. And yeah, little by little, I started getting clients that were children of migrant parents. And I started getting clients here in Australia, in Europe, in the US. And I started realizing like, wow, there are so many similarities, no matter where someone has grown up, no matter where their parents are from, their cultural background, what languages they speak, what religions are from. But there's this commonality of, okay, our parents have done this really incredible, amazing and scary thing of moving their whole lives to another country. And we are now stuck in the middle of two worlds. We're dealing with very heavy guilt and sometimes feeling like we have to do everything to now give back to our parents and drop and stop our own lives so that we can make sure that we do everything to repay them back for all the opportunities that we now have. And this is something that I saw across the board and I just, I loved it. And I realized that I worked really well with this population. I also realized that gender played such an important role, especially with across different cultures, across different countries, I just kept seeing women and from a young age, from the time that we're little girls, we're placed even more of the burden, right? We have to learn to cook. We have to learn to clean. We often have to look after the younger siblings. And there's just 
there's a different kind of responsibility and not to negate from for boys and for men, there's the breadwinner, there's, they have their own issues for sure. But I just thought, you know what, I, I think I want to specialize in working with the women of color, with the daughters of immigrants. I think that's who I work best with. And yeah, that's, I finally got to that realization of this is my calling. This is my, what I'm passionate about. This is what I speak about on the podcast. I give workshops on different topics that affect women of color and daughters of immigrants. And I talk a lot about self-care because it's something that I see quite often with women across the board, but especially with women of color, especially with daughters of immigrants that we just, oh, we just don't prioritize that. No one ever modeled that for us. And so we struggle with it. And so I love shouting about all things related to this because I realized that there was a gap. There wasn't a therapist that really was talking about the cultural nuances. And so I decided I'm going to be that therapist. Here I am. And you're based in Australia now, aren't you? I am. I moved here five years ago, so I'm a migrant myself. And sometimes I feel like I forget that somehow. And I think I just, I specialize in working with daughters of immigrants. But what's funny is that immigrants themselves come to me all the time too. And because they're like, oh, your content, everything that you're talking about, it resonates. I also, as a migrant myself, living in Australia or living wherever, feel like I don't really belong to my country of origin anymore, but I feel like I don't fully belong to this new country yet. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I feel the same way too in some ways. So I said, okay, let's do it. Let's work with migrants as well. So yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. I'm hopefully getting permanent residency here in Australia very soon. So yeah, five years flew by, flew by. And what brought you here in, in the first place? That is a, <laughs> that's a multi-layered answer, but essentially I was pretty burned out. I was really burned out. So when people ask me, I, if it's a short answer, I say job burnout. I tell them the work culture in the U.S. is go from the moment you're born until the moment that you die. And I had just finished my master's degree right after a bachelor's degree. So I just did six years of school with no break in between while working a full-time job, while doing a part-time internship that was required of me. And I just finished and I was like, and now what? Just work until I die? I'm so exhausted. Like I need a break. Yeah, that was part of it. The other part of it, my ex and I ended things right around July of 2018. I got laid off from the nonprofit that I was working for, budget cuts, of course. And I just realized I'm so burned out. I'm all of a sudden out of a job. I no longer have this steady relationship where I thought we were going to end up together. And I just realized like I've actually achieved the quote unquote American dream. I've got the degree. I know that, yeah, the, there's this minor setback of getting laid off, but whatever, like right away, I, I found another job and started working as a therapist with unaccompanied migrant children. And I loved it, but I realized, okay, if this is the American dream, and I've got the degree and I've got the careers about to start. And I've got the, I, I had just bought property. I had my dream car. And I was like, if this is it, this is what it's all about. Then I'm like, this isn't enough for me. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted all the time. My employers expect me to see 10 plus clients a day and to not eat or leave until I see all my clients in one day. And I was just like, this, there's got to be more to life than this. And a friend was actually, she told me, she's like, I'm going to Australia for a year. She had just graduated. She'd just gotten her bachelor's and she's like, I'm going to take a year off and go and travel around Australia. And I was like, oh, okay. She's like, you want to come? And I was like, 
no, I've got this. At the time, I was still with my ex, and I was like, no, I think I just graduated. I got this job. Like, no, I don't think this is the time. And then all of a sudden, laid off, ended things with my ex. And I was like, nothing is holding me here. I'm so tired. I'm so burned out. I love what I do. I love helping people, but I can't keep going like this. I need to do something for myself. So I decided originally to come with her for a year, and then I was going to go back to the U.S., But then I got here and I saw that people did things so differently over here. It wasn't the same insane work culture. People just relax. They will just take an afternoon off of work and go to the beach. And I'm like, what? What? And people get actual annual leave here and tons of it. And I'm like, wow, okay. People actually know what work-life balance is here. And even in Sydney, I'm in Sydney, which is a huge city and and people say, oh, people are so busy here and they don't even have time to say hello. I'm like, but you haven't been to the US. Like people, people are way more relaxed here still. So yeah, I, I decided to, to stay and I was like, okay. And two years ago, I decided to start the application process for permanent residency, which has been its own roller coaster and it's been hard. And, but I'm finally, I think at the end. So fingers crossed any day now. But yeah, that's how it started. Just with me essentially just wanting to come for a year and then ended up loving it and stayed like most people here. (laughs) Yeah, it's certainly my case for sure. I'm from England originally. So yeah. And it's interesting that you're saying all that about families and relationships and things, migrants, sorry, because how in dealing with families of migrants, if something happens to parents of the migrants or the kids of the migrants split up, they separate or whatever. Is the impact bigger within a a new migrant family than it would be normally? It's not necessarily bigger, but it's got to be different, hasn't it? I'm not phrasing this very well, but do you understand where I'm coming from? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I think I understand. Yeah. And I'm glad that there's more conversations about this because that is something that happens quite often. I was quite lucky that my family never got split up in that way. But I do know people back in the U.S. that their families have had to split up for different reasons. Sometimes just that first job that I had right after essentially graduating with my master's degree, that was working with the unaccompanied migrant children, meaning that these are children that were left in their home countries by their parents because their parents went to the U.S. to try to find better work opportunities. So these children stayed oftentimes with their grandparents or extended family members. And so that family was split up. And I was then working with these children who had now arrived to the U.S. unaccompanied, on their own, without an adult usually. So usually it was a seven-year-old leading a three-year-old by the hand. And so the kids that I saw in that shelter, they called it a shelter. I say it's more like a detention center, the way that they were treated, unfortunately. And this was in 2016 when the kids in cages, it was all over the news in the U.S. So that's essentially where I worked. But yeah, the trauma that you go through when you're separated from your parents at a young age is definitely something that will stay with you. And I think even if you're an adult and you're separated from your parents, that's one of the things that I talk about quite often is post-migration depression and all the anxiety and depression that we feel as migrants when we're watching our aging parents struggle with health issues and we're so far away. There's a whole ocean between us and and we can't just get on a quick, easy flight or get in the car and start driving and go check in on them. So there's a lot when there's that separation, whether you're an adult, whether you're a child. And I think definitely for the parents who have stayed 
and in another country to watch their even adult kids. I know that's been hard on my mom and it's been hard for her to accept that I don't want to live in the U.S. anymore. And it's been hard for me to try to show her like, but there's just more opportunities here. It's just a different way of life. And why don't you guys come here? And I know that I've had this conversation with other migrant friends here in Australia where they're like, I know I really want to bring them here. But first of all, it's a cost. It's 50K to bring your parents. That's just for one parent. And that, there's that cost. And if they're already getting to that older age and they don't really want to uproot their lives, in the case of my parents, again, they would be uprooting and starting over again in another country. And I get it. They're tired. They don't want to do that. Even if I'm telling them like, oh, but there's healthcare, universal healthcare here. I wouldn't have to worry about you when you have health issues and going bankrupt and all these things. But they're like, we're tired. We just want to be around family and we want you to be here. And I'm like, I don't want to be there. So there's always that push pull. I think when there's that separation, there's that grief, there's that sense of loss, sometimes a sense of abandonment. There's just multi-layered. And that's why I decided to say that I specialize in working with this population. And I don't say that I specialize in and grief, you notice, I don't say that I specialize in anger or in self-care. There's just so many different topics that I speak about because there's just so much that goes with just this demographic on its own. And that's just talking about daughters of immigrants. But then, yeah, of course, even more nuances if we're talking about migrants or like people like me who are migrants and daughters of migrants. I don't know. That was a long-winded answer, but I hope that, oh, that, that, that was actually great because somebody, uh, I know a few people who are mainly daughters of migrants whose parents don't even speak English very well, particularly the mothers. The mothers tend to retain their native language, even though they've lived over here decades in some cases, which makes them more isolated. So if the children move away from the family home, that creates a whole other isolation and stress for the parent and then the same for the child because you can't support your parents anymore and you know that your mum's sitting there and she's got nobody to talk to. Yeah, no, I I was just having this conversation with a friend that she actually had to do her own work in therapy and actually process the grief that comes with that, with comes with letting go because she said, I'm the only child and I left them back in, in South America and I feel like I abandoned them and I, I used to do everything for them. She's been in and out of Australia for, for 10 years and she said, I used to do everything for them, even though I know that they can schedule their own doctor's appointments, but I would from over here be up in the middle of the night, like making appointments for them, ordering the, the almond milk that they liked and just calling them and saying, you need to do this and you need to do that you need to take care of yourself and she said and finally I realized that I was putting my life on hold and I wasn't actually focused on starting my own family and present for my own partner and really able to to live my life and actually settle and accept that I wanted to live here and it was going to be very far away from my parents and that yes they're aging and it, it makes me sad but she said I had to do some work to let go of that and she said that it's been a hard journey, but one that's worth it because now she has let go of some of that pressure, that responsibility that she had put on herself when she said, now I don't make their doctor's appointments. Now I've realized that they can do these things on their own. As soon as I've stepped out of that parent role and gone into daughter mode, now I'm feeling a lot better and she's able to focus. And now she's trying to have her own kids. And I'm like, wow, beautiful to see that you're now like starting your own life and, and she's almost 40. And I said, it doesn't matter though. Like you're starting now and that's beautiful. 
So it's a process. It is a process, isn't it? Let's move on to what we were going to talk about originally because I could go into that topic. But what I really wanted to talk to you about was, especially being a migrant myself and dealing with ageing family over in the UK, and then my husband and I separated. So now we've got the question of, okay, now, because he was the one who wanted to be in Australia, not me. But I've been here 30 odd years now. My four kids are over here. Only one of the kids has decided that they're going to go back to the UK, <laughs> not stay in Australia. So I've got all my family in the UK. I might have one child in the UK, another one possibly going to Canada. What's the closest one? One will be 1100 kilometers away and the youngest one still lives at home at the moment. But she's talking about going to England as well. So it's like, Dealing with all that is stressful, but that was just my long-winded way of sharing what's going on in my life at the moment, because what I was actually going to ask you is how, or what we were going to talk about was dealing with the extended family as you come up to a big event, Christmas or a wedding or something like that, when you've recently separated. And I, I went off at that tangent because I suspect it's worse in migrant families because they might only be a small social group to support each of the parents if they're first generation migrants, they're first they're the ones that moved over here. Talk to me about that kind of thing. <laughs> Have I made sense there? I feel like I've waffled on for about ten minutes. Sorry. Yeah, no, you've totally made sense. I'm actually going to go back and address what I'm going to suggest for your situation, because I think that this could help anyone else that's listening and the family has been all spread out all over. I know quite a few people that's their situation and their siblings are in different countries and it's hard to come together. So what I'm going to first suggest is actually not making assumptions, not assuming that everyone wants to get together or not assuming that people actually want Christmas or this wedding to look a certain way and actually just removing some of those expectations. Because I think that sometimes we have this idea in our head that Christmas needs to look a certain way, that a wedding needs to look a certain way, that everyone needs to be in the same place at one time. And when in reality, sometimes the, the person who's actually celebrating a birthday or a wedding or something, and, and they actually don't really want that. Maybe they just want to focus on their own new family and just be with their new partner and with their baby. And so actually having those conversations of, because I think so often we just, we have our own ideas of, no, it needs to look like this. And we have our own traditions of, no, we've always done the big family Christmas and the big family Thanksgiving. We've always all gathered around. And one thing that I'm noticing now is that, yeah, just because it was like that in the past, Sometimes we just have to, to grieve and realize that that's how it used to be. And those memories will always be with us. And that was a beautiful time. Now, unfortunately, we need to shift and learn to celebrate and enjoy in a different way. And I know that's very hard. And that's something that's been coming up quite a lot for my clients that they're used to maybe the, the big family celebrations. And now, for whatever reason, they're having to maybe just celebrate just with their partner, just with their kids, when they're used to being around all the family, the extended family and being a big, beautiful tradition. And now they're having to 
focus on being fulfilled in other ways. And so finding community in other places as well is one of the things that I am suggesting to clients as well. If they are feeling very alone, if they're feeling isolated for whatever reason, they're migrants, or even if they're not migrants, but their families maybe have moved away, or maybe a lot of family members have passed on, whatever it is. But if you're feeling very alone and you're feeling like things have to change and you're, you notice some resistance of, I don't want it to change. I want to keep pushing. I want to find a way. I want to bring the whole family together. And it doesn't matter if they're in different countries and cities, I'm going to make it happen. When in reality, you might not be actually asking questions and respecting the wishes of other people who maybe they've found communities in other, in other ways. And actually exploring this with the client this week, she said, yeah, you're right. Like I, I know that my aunts and uncles, like they're very involved in their church or they have a sports league or they volunteer at the school or they have a very tight knit friend group. So many people are now celebrating things like Friendsgiving and they're actually focusing more on that chosen family. And so I think it, there is grief with letting go of, okay, maybe this family member doesn't actually value family the way that I do. And there is grief with that, of course, but actually moving to a place of acceptance. And I think there's grief and there's acceptance and they go hand in hand, move through one, you go to the other. Once you're in that place of acceptance, you can have a bit of gratitude and okay, so maybe we don't see each other once a year in this big way that I want want it to be like but instead maybe I just go and I fly to see them maybe at a different point in the year when they're less overwhelmed and even being mindful of for some people it can be really stressful to be so many people I think after COVID as well have developed social anxiety so maybe they don't want to be around so many people maybe they don't want to be now there's I think more conversations about holiday overwhelm about the stress that comes with hosting a big family meal and planning and, and all the travel and all of this. And I think there's some people that are ready to get back into it after COVID. And there are some people that are like, actually, it was nice that there wasn't this expectation, that there wasn't this big burden placed on one person usually to host and to plan and to prep and to buy presents and all this. So actually reimagining and, and letting go of some of that expectation can be helpful. It's really interesting because as you're talking, I'm just thinking back to last Christmas. I've got four kids. And so Christmases, even though we were isolated from everybody because we lived in Perth, which, as you know, because you've been in Australia for five years, is a long way from everywhere. And all of my husband's family were over on the east coast of Australia. My family are all still in the UK. So most of the time, it was Christmas with just us six or a grandparent. One of the granddads was there. But there was a lot went into it because it was all the cooking for six or seven of us, all the presents, everything else. There was a lot of prep. And it's interesting now, I'm tired. I want to go out for Christmas lunch and then I want to sit and watch the telly and not do anything for the rest of the day. That's my ideal Christmas. Maybe go for a walk down the beach. Don't want to do the whole big cooking or anything. Some of the kids deal with that, and they're all grown up now, by the way. Some of the kids deal with that really well, and others really don't deal with that well at all. How do you deal with that kind of disappointment? Because there are going to be different expectations and different upsets to deal with. How do you deal with all that kind of stuff, and particularly when the parents are divorcing and then you've got do you go to the grandparents that those grandparents or those grandparents do you go to the father's house or the mother's house how do you handle all of those different relationships the disappointments and the upsets 
So one of the things that's really important is to have really strong communication here. And for a lot of families, that is something that's uncomfortable. It's something that we're not really used to having. And sometimes we're not even having the conversations in the right way from a place of empathy, from a place of understanding, from a place I'm here to hold space for you and potentially your big feelings. So whether the kids are still kids or they're grown up now, but yeah, sometimes we do really want something. And so then there's big feelings that come up and, and we're struggling to process that things have to change. Human nature. We, we don't like to change. And so actually holding space for that, actually coming and saying, okay, let's talk about this. What is your ideal? And if those ideals don't match up, actually just having that, that conversation from a place of empathy, from a place of understanding of, I know that it's hard. And maybe even just allowing them to say, okay, yeah, I feel hurt. I feel neglected. I feel sad. I feel isolated. And maybe this is a wake-up call of maybe this kid, whether grown up or not, is feeling like this all year round. And it's only around this time that those feelings come up in a really big way. So if you're noticing those feelings with your kids, especially around the holidays, I think it could be really good to have this conversation around this time to check in and just to say, like, how long have you been feeling this way? But I think the important thing is really to use those I statements, not to go into defense mode and not to get really agitated and say, I don't want to do it because I get really tired and it's so much work for me. And if you want to do it, why don't you do it? And from a place of just getting really agitated and getting really defensive, instead of just say, this is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? And using those I statements, I feel tired. I feel sad. And I just want to be by myself sometimes on Christmas Eve. And, and that's what I want. And so then allowing space for the kids and for anyone else in the family to say how it is that they're feeling, having those conversations. Now I even love that there's board games and things like that that are making conversations like this for families easier, which I think is amazing because I think this is something that isn't normally done in families. We don't really know how to communicate with each other. And yeah, I've seen this quite often that things are just swept under the rug. And whenever you do try to have a conversation around feelings, people are just, nope, I'm this is uncomfortable. It's weird. We've never done this. And that's what breaking generational cycles looks like. It's uncomfortable. It's new. Some people will reject it. They'll walk away. But as long as you have tried to have that conversation, then you know that you've done the best that you can. So if you are as a parent struggling with the guilt of not meeting your child's expectations around holidays and navigating all the differences, then just know, okay, I've tried to be there. I've tried to hold space. Just be really patient and just try to have that conversation once. And even if they storm out, they walk away, they're too angry, they're too upset, just be really patient. Don't get irritated with them and just let them, hopefully they'll come back when they're feeling less activated and they will say, okay, I think I'm ready to have that conversation now. And sometimes it takes years for people to grow up and to realize, okay, yeah, I was very frustrated back then. I couldn't really listen. I couldn't really communicate. Now I've grown a little bit and now I can actually have these conversations. So hopefully that helps. Sometimes all you can do is just do your best to communicate and just hope for the best and see what comes. It's really hard, isn't it? Because you can try to, it's important to try to have other people I am not saying that. I'm really sorry. My brain is not working today. I've got menopause brain today. I always try and hear 
what the kids are saying, but sometimes I get really frustrated when they don't necessarily hear what I'm saying you know, and hear my upset or yeah. and they don't want to know. And it can be really difficult dealing with that. What advice do you have for that? Because I know I'm not the only one feeling this. When you, you try and have a conversation with the kids and you think you're being all enlightened in the conversation and then they just go, yeah, like they've got an alien on their face and it's going to go for you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they just lash out and they attack and they're not ready for that enlightened conversation. <laughs> so I think, again, you, all you can do is really take a step back, just breathe, just notice what's coming up for you. This is where mindfulness is really helpful. And it, it sounds a bit weird to, to say, but this is actually just today in a session with my client. She said, I used to get really activated when my mom would talk to me in a certain way and when she said certain things and I just get so emotional and so upset and I just feel like it was personally being attacked. And she said that since she started doing meditation and practicing mindfulness, she's like, now when she says something, I can just, I, I feel like I can observe it. I can just notice it and I'm just more calm in myself and I can just respond in a much better way. Or I can say, I'm going to go away and, and come back and we can have this conversation later. So sometimes it's just the simple practice of getting better at, at being mindful, getting better at just noticing that it's not really about you. Like your kids might be activated for different reasons and they might be lashing out at you. And so you modeling that type of behavior of maintaining that calm tone of voice and just maybe even repeating yourself using those I statements and just saying, oh, if you're not ready to have this conversation, we can go away, we can come back. Or even it doesn't even have to be like a big deal of I'm going to go away because you're not ready because we don't want to put the blame on them. But you could just say, oh, you know what? Like, why don't we make a pie together or something like shift it a little bit. And that's the other thing that I'm going to recommend is sometimes actually sitting down and having that conversation feels like too much. But sometimes if you're doing something like you're connecting through making food together or doing some activity that you really enjoy and things are just light and you're just having a light, easy conversation, then naturally what you notice is that they will start to share with you. They'll feel a bit safer. They'll start to share with you like, oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Thanksgiving. I, I really would love for it to be with the whole family. And, and it can be a nice, easy conversation. Sometimes I think that the conversations, we try to force them with other family members. And then people who aren't ready, they feel a bit attacked. They feel like, oh, I need to lash out. I need to defend myself, whatever it is that they're feeling. So sometimes we can try that approach. If it doesn't work, then walk away, leave it. And then when things are light and easy, then naturally, I think we can try to work it in without it feeling forced. I think it'll just naturally come up once that person feels safe. So it is mind, how important have you found mindfulness is in all of your work for people? I would say that it's very powerful when you start practicing mindfulness. And I've noticed that the more in tune that I am with my body, that my clients are with their bodies, then it makes us in tune with our own needs. And it helps us actually advocate for ourselves and for our own needs, for our wants, for our desires. And people start to notice that all of a sudden we are more calm, we are more grounded, we are more confident, we're just more able. And I know that this conversation that I've had with one of my clients, so she said, Oh, since being in therapy, since working on meditation, since like resourcing myself, my partner who was so anti-therapy and so did not believe in mental health, that he started to notice that shift 
And he actually, from seeing her and how much better she's able to handle stressful situations, how her anxiety has lowered, how she's now less depressed and she's just feeling more resourced and more confident in having conversations, difficult conversations with family members. She's able to set boundaries. And so he saw that and he sought out his own therapist. And so sometimes it is, there's just so much power in actually taking a step back and doing the work. Sometimes it is mindfulness, but I'm never one of those people that's just going to recommend and preach about one thing. For example, I'm trained in brain spotting, which is a type of mindfulness. It's a somatic approach that helps us process and release what's stored in the body. And I'm a big advocate of that. And that is one of the tools that has been really helpful for this client in particular. But I know that's not the only thing. She has been doing her own meditation. She has been showing up consistently to therapy. She's been doing the work outside of therapy. She's been journaling. She's been dancing. And so she just has this beautiful toolbox now full of tools that she now knows how to use. And she still gets stressed out. In conversation today, she's I'm worried about family coming here for December and, and my parents who are divorced and separated being in the same house for the first time in many years. I'm, I'm stressed about that. And I just had a reminder, but you're not the same person that you used to be two years ago. I said, just remember, just watch. And I watched it. I kid you not. I watched it. And I, even over Zoom, I could notice so much of the body language. I could see that she was anxious, even the way that she was like tensing up her whole body language. She's anxious as she's talking about her parents being under the same roof again. And then I stayed quiet and I just let her because I was at first going to step in and try to give her some resources. And then I just watched that she was able to resource herself. I've now taught her brain spotting. And so she did a bit of brain spotting. And just within a minute, for a minute or two, we were silent. And then she came back and she's, you know what? Yeah, I think it's going to be okay. I think I've I've come to accept that that they're them and they're going to do what they're going to do. And I have myself and I have my own family to, to take care of and I'm going to be okay. And I'm also, I've learned so much. When the last time that I was in India with my parents, like it, it was fine. I was worried, but it was fine. And so I was like, wow, that's beautiful. Do you see that you're resourcing yourself? You have these beautiful tools now. So that is one thing that I'm going to recommend is not just to look at it as one thing, because I think sometimes we're looking for that quick fix and we hear from people like, oh, you should really try meditation. Oh, you should really try yoga. You should really try journaling. And we think that this one thing is going to be the magic solution. But what I've seen in myself and my clients is that it's a range. You have to have many different tools. You have to experiment. You have to have fun with it. You have to learn to embrace that some tools are going to work for you, some are not. And just because it works for a million people, it might not work for you. And that's okay too. So letting go of that. So I am a big proponent of mindfulness and a meditation. I think it can work really well for people. I've seen it work really well for myself and for a lot of my clients. But I think there's also a combination of other tools and techniques that you can use that might be even more helpful for you. Or it could just be one of the tools that you use, if that makes sense. Totally. Talk to me about brain spotting. What's that? So brain spotting is a somatic approach that I, I love, and it's specifically really helpful for a lot of my clients who do have trauma. And so somatic means mind and body. And so when we do traditional talk therapy, we're using our prefrontal cortex. We're processing on a cognitive level. We're trying to process everything that's happening. But oftentimes the, the trauma, we can't talk about the trauma, especially if it's childhood trauma, especially if it's very severe trauma that our brains, our minds have protected us from by blocking it out. 
by disassociating from it, then we may not even be able to access those memories. Or if you notice, memory is also a really fickle thing. And so that's why when we try to recall traumatic experiences, the timeline, and this is why in courts, eyewitness testimony and things like that, it's so unreliable because our memories are, are not very reliable. And especially when it comes to a traumatic incident, the timeline can be all over and you might tell the same story to three people within the, the span of 20 minutes and it might be totally different. And especially as years go by, you don't have those memories anymore. And that's your mind trying to protect you from it. So with brain spotting, we're actually able to access a different part of the brain. And so with that part of the brain, it's called the subcortical region. And so that's a deeper part of the brain. And that is oftentimes where the trauma is stored. So brain spotting we can use for trauma, but we can also use it for what I call more surface level issues. I'm a trauma therapist. And so the way I see it is that trauma is at the root of everything. So anxiety, depression, OCD, anything like that, those are the symptoms that are coming up. And so we might have trouble breathing. We might have a lot of anxious thoughts and, and voices in our head telling us that we're not good enough, all these things. So those are just the symptoms of the underlying trauma. So with brain spotting, we can work on those issues. And if someone says, I'm, for example, having trouble with getting too activated, getting too emotional when I have a conversation with my mom about my weight, for example, that's a good one because with the holidays coming up, there are so many parents, unfortunately, who are used to just body shaming us and saying, are you sure you want that extra slice of pie? So if you know that you're feeling very anxious and, and you're starting to worry about oh, this conversation, it always gets me, it triggers me. So brain spotting can be really helpful because even if we might start with that quote unquote minor issue, that minor annoyance that you feel when someone makes comments about your body weight, it might actually take us to the deeper root of that problem, to maybe a deeper trauma. Maybe it was that you were bullied over your weight when you were younger, or maybe it's something that goes even further back. It's a beautiful thing because with brain spotting, it's really about following, they call it following the tail of the comment. So for me, as the brain spotting therapist or the brain spotting practitioner, I'm there to hold space for that client, but I follow them wherever they want to go. And so during a brain spotting session, I use a pointer and, and it might have something like this little Christmas tree at the end of it. And so it's just about the eye movement. So similar to EMDR, which more people are familiar with EMDR for trauma and stands for eye movement desensitization, but Brain spotting is even more effective, I find, because you can use it on your own, not necessarily with the brain spotting practitioner once you learn how to use it, but you can also use it in groups. You can use it in person or over Zoom. My client sessions are over Zoom, so we have been able to do very great work over Zoom, but you can do it in the span of just a few minutes, like today with my client, or you can use the whole session. Like last week with the client, we did a really powerful brain spotting session. And that lasted, I think, for 40 minutes of the session. And it really helped her because she was feeling very activated, very stressed, very overwhelmed. And to the point that we started the, the therapy session. And usually she's very good at being able to tell me what's going on in her life, what's stressing her out and walk me through it like in narrative format. This is what's happening. This is and she's very aware, very intelligent. And this time around, I noticed that she was struggling with actually putting it into words, what was going on for her. And she was just a little bit all over the place and not really making sense. And I think she knew that she wasn't making sense because she kept checking in with me. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if you're following. And finally, I said to her, I was like, to be honest, I 
almost always follow you. Today, I'm not following. Why don't we try some brain spotting? And by the end of that brain spotting session, she's like, wow, now it all makes sense. Like now I know what the issue is. Now I know that this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to shift with me. And it's just amazing that sometimes we can just release some of that. And she just said, she said, I feel so much better. I feel so much lighter. I feel more at peace. Like I, I don't feel so overwhelmed and anxious anymore. And I said, it's yeah, sometimes traditional talk therapy, we wouldn't have gotten I think anywhere that day because she just couldn't really. And I said, I'm human. I can only process if it makes sense, right? If I can follow a, a bit of a timeline. So I'm glad that I trained in brain spotting because yeah, it helps us sometimes access what our, our brains can't actually function. There's so much going on and there's so much stuck in our bodies that it actually helps us. So brain spotting is actually about focusing on your gaze on a certain spot, which we call a brain spot. And so once you actually find that brain spot where that issue is, that, and that's where the pointer comes in sometimes, and that's why you can do it on your own, even without a pointer or looking at something. But yeah, it's about finding that brain spot and that will access, help us access a different part of the brain where things might be stuck. So, wow. So you literally, you, you hold the pointer and then it's wherever your eyes go. And that's when you talk about that topic, yeah. that's where yeah. it is. Wow, that's so clever. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And and my clients love it as well. And we've been able to do some deep work, but sometimes it's even helpful just to regulate. So same as I might say, oh, let's do, let's start the session with the five minute meditation, just because I notice you're very activated right now and you're very anxious in your body. But now with brain spotting, I can... I can use them. I feel like it's even more effective than, than meditation. With meditation, I feel like we're still trying to do something in our own heads. And sometimes we're like, oh, I just, I don't know. I can't get there. With brain spotting, it's very natural because we're just focusing on where our gaze feels comfortable, where our gaze is naturally drawn to. And we just notice different activations. So if I hold the pointer right in front in the center and I ask you to focus on an issue, and you bring up that issue and I ask you to notice like what's coming up for you as you look there in the center at the pointer. And then I move the pointer over here to the left and then I move it over here to the right. Clients notice all kinds of different things. I know for me, sometimes if I look over to the left, I'll notice like, I don't know, my chest all of a sudden feels tight. Now that I'm thinking about this issue and I'm looking to the left, I look to the center and maybe I'm flooded with memories of this issue. Maybe I look to the right and there's nothing. And so even exploring, like, oh, why is there nothing there? But usually what we recommend is going to the back to the spot where you felt the most activation. So on a scale of one to 10. And, and we use activation as a vague term on purpose, because I want you to just tell me, what is it? You could be very activated in your body, or you could be very activated in your mind, like lots of memories, or maybe you're hearing your mother's voice, or who knows. But activation is vague on purpose, because only you know, like, how activated do you feel right now? So it's a very interesting approach and, and I love it that we're able to do deep work, that we're able to use it as a resource, that we're able to use it very quickly, very easily, something that you can do from anywhere. And that's one of the tools that I, I like to give my clients as well. Wow. Now, I don't want to finish the conversation here, but it is time to start wrapping up. Is there anything else you want to share with us, but also tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. The one thing I just want to say with the holidays coming up, I just want to encourage you to, if possible, schedule some extra therapy sessions. I know that for a lot of my clients, this is a really difficult time of the year. So don't feel like you're 
having to do this all alone because you're not alone. And if something like this sounds like, oh, wow, I could really benefit from having some more tools in my toolbox, then there's no need for you to try to learn it all. The way I see it is booking a session with a therapist is like a shortcut. You don't have to watch a million YouTube videos, read a million self-help books, listen to a bunch of podcasts. You can actually book with a therapist, tell them like what's going on for you, and they can help you get some resources so that you can actually start to have some more tools in your toolbox so that you don't feel so overwhelmed and so alone. Because I think I know I used to be like that too. And I used to just think it's just, it is what it is. Like the holiday season is always hard and I just got to keep powering through it and it's stressful, but I'm just got to keep powering through it. When in reality, we can make changes. We can resource ourselves. We can ask for help. And what's crazy is the most popular podcast episode that I've had is actually called, Why Do I Struggle to Ask for Help? Because so many of us don't want to ask for help. We struggle with it. We feel guilty. We feel like we can do it on our own. We feel like, no, I'm this self-help junkie and I've read all the books and I've done all the podcasts and yet I still don't feel like I, I know how to handle this stress and this overwhelm. And yeah, there's a reason for it because you're trying to do everything on your own, but there's no need for that. So that's been a really important life lesson that I learned a few years ago is, oh, wow, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. And once I do, I start to feel so much better, so much lighter. So I will just recommend if you want to book a session with me, I will be working a little bit over the holidays. I will take a few days off, but I know that this time of year is really hard for my clients. I know that they're going to need some extra sessions and I'm, I'm there for it because I'm like, okay, we're all just struggling and I will take time off at other times because I know that it's a difficult time. It's a really difficult time. So just be gentle with yourself. Try as much as you can to get some help. The other thing I was going to say is that's been a really important mindset shift for my clients that they're like, wow, this has been helpful. Is instead of saying, oh, I think I need therapy or telling other people, I think you need therapy. And just shift it to, I deserve therapy. I deserve healing. I deserve gentleness. Just using that word can be so powerful and can help you let go of some of that guilt and anxiety, fear that you may have and actually reaching out for help. So that's one thing that I will leave you with is just shift it to I deserve this because you do. You deserve it. We all do. And you don't have to do it alone. So you can find me at globalcitizentherapy.com. That's my website. You can book a consultation call with me. You can also book me if you want me to speak on any topic. You can send me an email there. It's info at globalcitizentherapy.com. You want to follow me on social media, same thing, handle across all social media platforms is Global Citizen Therapy, and the podcast is also the Global Citizen Therapy Podcast. I made it really easy for people because I thought Global Citizen, that is exactly what I wish we all could be. No borders, no fighting over this is my country or it's not my country. We're all just Global Citizens. Global Citizen Therapy, that's where you can find me. And you can find all of those details on the webpage that goes with the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Nancy. This has been great. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much for having me. I have loved having this conversation. I really appreciate you bringing people on like me where we can actually talk about these things, destigmatize it. So yes, thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. 
And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.